on November 30th, 2014, went to a rented rehearsal studio in Midtown Manhattan. So there's these places where you go into some nondescript skyscraper and you go up to the 13th floor and then it opens up and the hallway is filled with people that are there to audition for a dance team and people that are there to have opera practice and improv teams and girls taking piano lessons and everyone's just renting space. And so I rented space for like, I don't know, 30 bucks an hour and brought a backpack full of candles and change of clothes and weird stuff and um, nitrous oxide and a strobe light and a bunch of other stuff. And I did a magic ritual. And I thought about this idea that I was myself and there was a reality that was, you know, to my right, for lack of a better term, that was slightly better and one to my left that was slightly worse. And if you kept going out, it just went in an infinite direction. And somewhere there was a reality where I was a wizard. And I, at the beginning of the year, said, I'm going to hatch an idea this year. I don't know what it is. I, I shouldn't rush to find it right away, but I should play around, explore. And at the end of the year, I'm going to have this new project. Like, it'll, I'll be aware of what it is. And so by the end of 2014, I decided I was going to become a wizard and I mapped out what that meant to me. And I couldn't transport to that reality directly for the reasons I just described. It would be very jarring. But because that wizard is a wizard, he would be the most equipped to hear my call. And I would basically be saying, hey, like, pull me over. You know, like, I'm throwing up my rope, grab and we'll, we'll merge the deltas. And so I more or less came up with a character. I thought, well, what would the wizardly version of myself be like? And I thought about all these attributes that I wanted to embody um, because I didn't want that thing of being the guru that goes on stage and talks to everyone about calmness and compassion and then comes off stage and slaps the hot coffee out of the assistant's hands. So I thought about you know, loving kindness and playfulness and all these different things. And I actually cut up a bunch of pieces of paper that had all these words on them and I would draw them out like four at a time. And I had a talk that I was imagining giving as a wizard and I'd written it down on paper and I gave it over and over and each time I would draw four words and I would embody all of those attributes and then read it again. And then draw four words and then read it a different way. And I changed into different clothes and I like was just trying to connect with this other version of me that didn't exist yet, but it was the wizard version of me. I had a, a sigil I'd printed out onto a transparency, and so I put that in front of my computer screen and had a strobe light playing through it and then did a whip it and used that to kind of launch that idea into my brain, into the cosmos, however you want to think about it. And that was that. I had only rented the space for an hour, and then when I finished everything, I was like, oh my god, it's like 55 minutes. I've got like, I've got to clean everything up. And so I'm trying to clean everything up, and I like spill candle wax across the floor, and then I'm like using a t-shirt to try and scrub the candle wax up, and I'm like, you know, there's like a tape pentagram. I'm like, I have no shirt on, and I'm like, oh dear god, please do not let some little nine-year-old and her piano teacher walk in right now. Like, these doors definitely do not lock got cleaned up and got out of there went back to my normal life you know first rule of magic is forget about it like don't sit around going when's it gonna show up and went back to my normal life went to philly with a friend for the weekend a couple of weeks later 
and I have a rare knee condition and it uh, flared up. And normally when it flares up, I need to go home right away, ice it, elevate it, stay off of it, and it'll get better. But I'm in fucking Philly. So I spent the whole weekend like trudging around and doing shit and my like knee is continuing to swell. And then I have like this long car ride home, like cramped. And so by the time I got back, my knee was the size of a softball. And it was just totally gnarly. And I was stuck in bed for like a month. I like had to work from home and I was really depressed. I was like, oh, this is terrible. Like I've dealt with this condition for almost 10 years. It hasn't been a problem in New York. And now I'm going to be on crutches. I'm going to have to get a surgery. Well, this is going to be no fun. Went to go see a specialist because my condition's rare. I can't just go see a regular knee doctor. And the specialist says, actually, we're not going to do a surgery because we have this experimental medication that we've had really good results with and we're running the trial for it so we can get you into the trial. But I have to tell you, the medication has an effect. And I say effect, not side effect, because it happens to everyone that takes the medication. It's going to turn all of your hair white. You know, I, I almost kissed the doctor. I was, I was like tap dancing. I was so excited. And he's like, well, of course, when you're off, the medication will go back. And I was like, oh, really, doc? Bummer. Okay. And he was so confused. I was like, why is this guy so stoked? But that was amazing because I was like, I'm going to be a wizard. Obviously, I don't have a white beard. I don't know. Like, I can grow a beard, but like a brown beard kind of like not that good of a look. I, I don't know. I'll figure it out. Eventually, I'll be an old man and then it will work. And I'm going to commit to this for the long haul. So like, let's just do it. And then it was a month later, the universe was like, here you go. And so I was really in disbelief. It was one of those things where I was like, this is too good to be true. It's going to fall apart. Like I'm somehow not going to get in the study. And it took about like eight months to actually like have the opportunity come up and like get put in. And then, yeah, I got put on these pills and my hair turned white and my life uh, changed. I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. On this edition, a wizard sharing magic in our modern time, helping others see themselves, helping himself envision a new reality. Next, on Euphemet. tall, brimless, conical hat adorned with gold stars signals to a crowd our presence in Washington Square Park. It towers above the heads of the curious tourists and tech workers that are beginning to gather around Devin Person. He's a wizard, in the mythical sense, but in a modern Manhattan. His long, ornate robe swooshes and follows as we navigate the mass to a clearing. Devin spends many days like this, flowing through the streets and subways of New York, granting wishes and sharing wisdom. He's a listener, a mentor, a hypnotist, and he has this bustling park under a spell. It has the most town square feel to it. There's people sunbathing, there's people doing acro yoga, there's like two different jazz bands playing, there's somebody doing some sort of street performance, there's the guys hustling chess, there's people doing drawings, taking photos in front of the arch. It just feels like you're in a commercial for New York City. 
the heart of New York and the heart of the city. I mean, there's a flowing fountain. There's a, an arch that's a gateway to nowhere. The wizard is kind of on the barrier of the real and the imaginary, the physical and the ephemeral. And an archway like that, it just looks like a portal. It looks like you could look through it and see down the street and then you would walk around and look through it and then you would see a desert or a, a field or another city that's clearly not New York. You're like, it definitely just feels like a magic portal. In some regards, Devin is like a magic portal. He brings enchantment to life by being an archetype out of a mythical place in our minds. It is clear Devin makes an impression. But what of his magic? Is there something more fantastic beyond the long white beard and the crystal ball hovering over his undulating palm? How did this all begin? So, I think the the, the roots of it come from being a little kid and lying in bed at night, not being able to sleep, and just having those thoughts about what happens after you die, what is what is you know, if there's a God, what created God, what's beyond God, what's beyond the edge of the universe, and having that almost deep existential terror in my stomach, just like, ah! Those are big questions as a kid. Those are big questions. And the, the irony is, I remember I had a friend that was very, his family was very, very Catholic. And I was like, oh, he's such a lucky bastard. He's, he's sleeping like a baby because he believes in this God. And I'm like, as an adult, I'm like, oh, he must have been tormented by ideas of guilt and sin and all these other things that come with that. I had that very early, and I think that led me to seek. And then when my family moved to Massachusetts, my parents joined a Unitarian Universalist church, and the middle school education program was all about world religions. So you would go to part of the service, and Unitarians are not very Jesus-y, it's like, it's pretty, pretty secular, and then you would get shunted off into this other classroom, and one of the adults would have volunteered to teach a course on Islam. And you would learn about Islam for three to four weeks, and then you would go to a mosque on a field trip, and you would check out a mosque and see what that was like, and then you would come back and you would do a Baptist church, and you would study what, where did the Baptists come from, and then you would go to a Baptist church. And I think that was really crucial because it showed me how many different paths there are to the same source or similar sources. Uh, and I was really fascinated by all those different things and just kind of loved mythology and all of that. and writing down like a list of actual quips for when people yell some dumb shit at me. So I, the only one I have so far is I get a lot of, you're a wizard, Harry, and I'll go, Close, I'm a hairy wizard. Um, so that's fun. Um, but for the most part, yeah, you can come over. Um, the most part is just stuff like what's about to happen right now. Hi. How are you? Is this a costume? No, it's a way of life. Really? Yeah, I'm a wizard. Really? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What do you think it means? Magic. There you go. Can you really do magic? I'm doing magic right now. I cast a spell to get people to talk to me, and look how well it's working. That's nice. Where are you visiting from? Uh, Maryland. Maryland? Yes. Cool, cool. What have you done in New York so far? Um, we've been to the Met. I can tell. around. I could have told you that. Because of my pin. <laughs> yeah, well also I mean because I'm a wizard, but the pin was helpful. Yeah. <laughs> are these, are these, is this your crew? Yes, we're from a school. 
My friends and I got into psychedelics and marijuana fairly early, like eighth grade, and we're in the suburbs of Massachusetts, and so there's really nothing to do except sleep over at someone's house, wait until the parents go to sleep. You can't smoke weed in your friend's house, so you got to dip and go out to the woods or go to an abandoned construction site or wherever you can find to just chill and do your thing. And it's not very active at night. So if a cop was going to drive by and see four teens walking along the side of the road, you're probably going to get talked to. You might be able to talk your way out of it, which was always my strategy, but you're definitely going to get talked to. Now, one of my friends was very sketchy. And that was like the, just the word that we used where as soon as, you know, the, the light, the headlights were coming up behind us, he would jump into the bushes and we're all like, dude, that is the most obvious attention getting thing ever. Like they're going to see us. If it is a cop, they're going to stop and then run into the woods and find us. If we are chill, we could say, oh, hey, we're just going out for a walk. Oh, yeah, well, we'll head home right now. It's no big deal. And so... I was trying to develop this strategy where I was like, you need to not be blatant because if you're just being an idiot and you're drunk and you're like hitting mailboxes and making noise, you're going to get in trouble. But if you're too paranoid and you're too uptight, you're going to get in trouble too. You need to have this like confident, calm, middle of the road attitude. And I think trying to imbue my friends with that idea and that energy, I... I started this idea, and I have no idea where it came from, of we've got to pay homage to the weed gods. Like, I wasn't the kid that was reading books on magic and calling myself Wicca or anything like that. Like, maybe I had some friends that were, but I was more just punk rock, and I I think my primary exposure was comic books. Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore, and Grant Morrison were really just churning out amazing stuff that was steeped in that world. And so I read all of The Sandman when I was in high school, and I think those ideas were percolating below the surface. So we would go out, we would find some place, and we would sort of ceremonial sit and offer up a prayer and take like a, a little like hit. You know, we're not getting super stoned right then. It's just this little bit that starts us on our adventure and we're sort of asking for safe passage. And then it was much, much later in life when I was trying to look at what I had done in my 20s and what was the pattern and who am I and all these existential questions as I was approaching 30 that I thought about when you read interviews with Martin Scorsese or other people like that and they, oh, when I was eight, my brother and I were in the garage making movies on eight millimeter cameras, doing the whole thing. And I was like, man, I didn't have anything like that. I've like always been such a dabbler and trying to find my way and having ADD and switching from one project or idea to the next. And when I started to become a wizard, I suddenly remembered this thing about the weed gods and looked back and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> like from an early age, I was I was making people do weird made up rituals. That's That's been a thread. Devin finds form through ritual magic and helps others do the same. This ranges from the occult to the mundane. Its repeated actions, chants, its visualization, hypnotism, and meditation. It's realizing in oneself that you are the change agent. This magic seems to only push an intent 
an effort forward. I will either do some hypnosis with them or I'll help them create some sort of ritual or spell. The idea is to find a place of leverage. That's the most important thing. It's, you know, don't just go in and start hacking away, but like really observe the whole system and find that point of leverage where a small action there is going to make a huge difference. And whether that's a ritual that's just going to make them help them feel a little bit better or it's going to help them target their energy. And by energy, I don't mean anything woo. I mean literally just like their focus and like what they're doing with their time. So trying to help people in those ways, but it's really, it's really about small things that I think listening and being human and not having any kind of one-size-fits-all prescription. Saying, well, you've got to go to the forest, my friend, and gather the three smallest berries from the tallest tree that you can find, and on the sixth moon of the seventh day, like, you know, if they're not going to go do it, then what, like, I was just masturbating at them. Like, like if, if they're not actually going to do it, then what am I doing? Like, nothing. sit on the train and I put up a fake MTA sign that says talk to the wizard and then I wait for people to engage with me. So I don't go because like there's so many like beggars and people that are on the train going, excuse me everyone, here's this thing, blah 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 and I'm like, look, like, you know, I don't need money, I'm fine, like I don't want to bother people. I want the people that are interested in what's happening to like come and talk to me. Deep below the streets, I create space between Devin and I on the L train for someone, anyone, who chooses to embrace their curiosity to indulge themselves in a conversation with a wizard. A kind face, sitting with a welcoming presence in this narrow, starkly lit tube, it's a sacred commune. At this stop, I watch as two women enter the train. The first greets Devin's appearance with an eye roll that's so intense it's nearly audible. Her hips careen to face far away, yet quietly, under that loud sneer, the other woman smiles. She connects eyes with Devin from across the train. She's shy, but Devin gestures towards the open seat next to him. She considers for a beat then leaps across the aisle and away from the cynical to dive into a new reality, one in which wizards on subways are real and magic is everywhere. It's so funny that you, yeah, you saw that person that was like, no, not dealing with this. Yeah, it was clear. She had made her decision up very quickly. Yeah. There was a, a family at the other end of the train, too, that was very excited and like pointing. That, I, I think it was pretty clear that I was engaged with that other person, so which is fine. I was like happy to give her my full attention. Often it's conversation that, like, you know, I'll just talk with them and if it feels appropriate and they seem up for it, I'll offer to grant a wish. 
some wishes. There's things that are beyond my control. They're like, you know, I hope my grandma gets better. And I'm like, I do too. Like, <laughs> you know, I have nothing that I can do to cure your grandma. I won't say that, but I'll like be like, but you know, like, I'll send magic. You know, I'm gonna send the vibe. And I think that's what people. It's, it, it helps. Like, giving them a story where they can say, Hey, grandma, I saw a wizard, and he's, you know, he's rooting for you. And hopefully, that has some sort of effect. Other times, people say something that I'm like, okay, I can help you with this. And what I'm going to do is grant you a boon. So some sort of synchronicity is going to come together and it's going to work out for you. So I'm giving them that confidence and that faith that it's going to come together because it probably is, you know. And then I match that with a task. I'm like, I'm going to give you a task. And I give them some little activity, again, really, really low lift that they can go do that I think will kind of send them on the right path. was out subway wizarding and it was at the very end and that had been a pretty like boring night like no one was really interacting with me it wasn't that that great and i was getting ready to go home i, I had my sign folded up i was on my, the g train i was riding at two stops to my house and i'm there and this girl's like sitting in front of me and i'm standing and she says something you know about me being a wizard and I said, well, you know, I'm on my way home, actually, but let me, uh, let me get you a wish. And she's like, oh, I want a glass of wine. And I was like, honey, if I had a glass of wine in these robes, I'd have drank it by now. But uh, I'm getting off in two stops. Like, this is a real moment in your life. You could say something real right now. What can I do for you? And she, like, snapped to attention. And goes, I am going home right now to apply for this audition that I really want. Like, it's a dance audition. I want to get it. And I, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to give you a task. I want you to go home, and before you hit send on that application, I want you to dance for five minutes. And that five minutes of dancing is going to be your magic spell to like get this audition. And she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. But she had gone home, sat down, filled out the application, hit submit, did not do the ritual. There was some sort of error with submitting where like the computer's fucked up, and she was like, I don't know if it's submitted or not. But then she realized that she hadn't done the, the spell. And I was like, okay, I, I, I think I have to resubmit. So like, this is probably a sign that I should do the spell. And so she danced for five minutes. And then she looked at her application again. And she's like, oh, my God. Like, I, I, wasn't, I haven't revealed anything about myself. There's no personality in this. And she rewrote it and made it like, so much better and about herself. And then hit send and then got the audition. Uh, we're about to pass Knickerbocker, which is the stop that I was closest to when I first moved to New York. And it's so funny because it's, you're, you go there all day, every day. You're constantly, that's your portal into the world. And then the moment you move, gone. That relationship is totally gone. And then it's just this little, it's not even like seeing an ex. It's totally different when you come back by it. And it's almost dead to you in a way. It just doesn't have that energy of, ah, oh, my familiar stop that I'm getting off at it really makes you realize how quickly a chapter in a life can close. That the moment that I took the train away from here when I was breaking up with my ex-girlfriend and going to go stay with my friend and launch myself into the next chapter of my life, like the neighborhood stopped to mean things in the same way. I 
throughout my 20s, I switched uh, lanes quite a bit. I'd had a sex blog for a while, and then I had a late night talk show at like a basement theater, and then I was gonna be a journalist, and then I was gonna be a TV writer, and just, you know, all of these different things. And every one of them I'd only stayed with for at most two years. So I was thinking as I got to New York and I was facing this unknown and open future, I should pick something that I want to stick with. And some piece of advice that I saw said something along the lines of, what's something that you could talk about in a bar until like three in the morning? And I was like, oh, you get me drunk and I'll start telling you about magic. <laughs> like, that was always like it was, like, it was like kind of an open secret, but it was one that I didn't talk to everyone about all the time. But every once in a while, like I'd get drunk and I'd be like, yo, let's talk about my ideas about magic in the universe because I've got a bunch of them. I was working customer support at a website company. So I would get emails from people that said, hey, I can't upload an image on my website. And I would go look at their website and I would figure out the problem and I would solve it and I'd write them back. So I got to look at all kinds of weird people's websites in various states of construction. And I was seeing so many freaking life coach websites. And the people who had meditation retreats or yoga centers or life coaches were the ones that were writing all caps emails that were totally misspelled and were furious and like so mad about some quibbling little detail. And I was like, fuck you, you know, fuck all of you that are claiming to sell stress reduction. And then this is how you treat people like, you know, the cliche of the, the like white middle-aged yoga lady that's going to go chew out the barista and then put on her Lululemon and her fancy yoga mat and then go to yoga and like go to a $4,000 retreat to focus on compassion. Like it's such a weird world where we have this commodified spirituality and you can pay for all of the symbols and accoutrements and not do any of the actual work to like be a better, more thoughtful, more generous, nice person. So <clears throat> I started thinking about, you know, I've always been dabbling and I was looking for a new project and I was like, yeah, I should make fun of this. Like, it'd be fun to make fun of life coaches from the occult perspective. Like, what if I was this really out there occult life coach? So I'm doing all the same stuff, but it's all about ritual magic and I'm making jokes about crystals and all of this. And as I played around with that idea, I realized that I didn't want to be trapped by novelty. I thought about people that made novelty Twitter accounts where you're doing postmodern modern family and how how long can you do that after BuzzFeed writes you up like how long can you be hitting that same joke over and over and I looked at this project and I was like yeah I don't want to be stuck going crystals I think I need to put a little bit more heart into this and I've always been interested in wizards I have a wizard tattoo and it just suddenly was like oh I'll be a wizard. I actually read an interview in the, the late great magazine, Arthur, that was with Grant Morrison, where he talked about this kind of psychological approach to magic, where you're not actually expecting a real verifiable pit of fire to open. You're teaching yourself how to see that pit of fire and then surprising yourself with what comes out of it. And that's a way to learn things that are going on inside of you. And I was like, this is the coolest shit I've ever heard of. And from there, I was 
buying stuff at the occult bookstore and waving knives around in my garage, calling out Hebrew God names. And that, like, from that point on, it was a little bit of, of learning the stuff and a lot of continuing to just make it up and do it my own way. I realized, I was like, this is something that I've been doing for a really long time. I've been doing this for over a decade. It's been a very consistent practice. I've transformed my life multiple times. I've solved problems, gotten over addictions, um, just done all kinds of things with it. I think I could use this to help other people. I was on my way to like a gig where I was gonna do this like ritual performance and I was taking one of those like shared lift lines and I'm dressed full wizard and this girl's right in the front seat and we start chatting and I say, can I grant you a wish? She said, yes, oh my God, I've moved to New York and I'm trying to become a nurse, I'm a nurse, I've been trying to find a job and I've had no luck, I've been job hunting for like five months, no luck. And I was like, what made you wanna become a nurse? She's like, my grandmother, you know, she is a nurse, that's the thing, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna grant you a boon and you have to do a task. I need you to call your grandmother. She's like, I call my grandmother almost every day, like totally down. I'm like, all right, tell her a wizard told you to call. She's like, I'm gonna do it, you know? And I was like, great. And then she took a photo of us, like from, and I was like, oh, that'll be really great for the grand. Like, can you email it to me? And I handed her my card. She's like, totally. And so she followed through. Most people don't follow through. She followed through and sent me that photo. And I like wrote back thanking her for it. And then she said, oh my God, four days after I met you, I got a job, like the dream job. Like I'm, just, I'm a regular person. I have all the same frustrations and things that you do. I can't magically make a glass levitate or, you know, solve all my problems. I still have a day job. Like I, you know, I can't do this stuff, but I decided to become a wizard. I did a magic spell and my life has been utterly transformed by that. I was dancing with earlier in this process was that I am summoning the wizard archetype and I'm making a deal with it. I'm saying, look, I'm going to give you part of my soul. I'm going to spend my human time talking about wizards and dressing like a wizard and putting the wizard idea out into the world. And that will make wizardry more real. Like if I do these things, like wizardry will be more in the world. More people will be talking about it. The wizard archetype will be stronger. And in exchange, you will help me by giving me magic and opening doorways. And that, I think, is the thing. Like, the wizard archetype benefits from this, and I benefit from it, and we're working together. It's always about this boundary between the real and the imaginary, or the physical and the ephemeral. And magic is about crossing that boundary and saying i'm going to take physical objects and i'm going to put them on an altar and they're going to symbolize ideas and i'm going to use these to work with ideas which are abstract and i can't hold in my hands or i'm going to go surf the realm of abstract ideas and then i'm going to turn those into physical objects or bring those into reality and create a new house a new job a new relationship a new friendship a new experience whatever it is in the physical world I think what's really valuable is the way that we make it real. Like you read a book on philosophy, you forget 99.999% of it, but you remember that one idea that you tell to your friend when they're having a hard time. And then your friend says, that's a great way to think about things. And then your friend takes a different action. And then now you're in this other reality because you've transformed 
that experience together. And so it ultimately comes back to the real. That's where we live, or at least where I try and live most of my time. I have vacation homes other places. listening to this edition of Euphemet and helping us launch season two. Now, this podcast is only a part of the story. To see more, go watch this episode's video vignette exclusively on Planet Weird's YouTube channel or find it at euphemet.com. Carl Pfeiffer, director of the popular web series Hellier and past Euphemet feature, is traveling with me all season long and realizing Euphemet cinematically. Do not miss watching these short films. Also, subscribe to Devin's great show. This podcast is a ritual. If you are in New York, he has a really cool event called The Wizarding Hour. And on June 16th at Magic City, they're doing a Build a Ritual workshop. It's free. Also, a really great New York Times feature on him was released last week. The headline features a quote from Devin. He states, I'm weird, but I get results. Yes. Yes, you do, my friend. Find the link in our show notes. Make sure to join us on Facebook. Our group, The Society of Euphemet, is where myself and listeners go to share their own experiences and talk about the show. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Euphemet and me at It's Jim Perry. I'd like to thank our sponsor, AMC Network Shutter and partners Planet Weird, Audio Boom, MindPod Network, Evolve and Ascend, and Third Thing Network. And I must thank all of our Patreon members. You have helped make this very episode possible. And because of you, there is a season two. But to continue, we need more help. So please consider joining. You'll get access to Euphemet, the original series, brand new conversations, and more. Later this week, I'm posting a conversation I had with Janet Walter from 2016 about her book, America, Nation of the Goddess, The Venus Families, and the Founding of the United States. Find it all at patreon.com slash euphemet. Of course, as always, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. This has been Euphemet. I'm Jim Perry, and until next time, keep looking up.